I'm going to read this morning in Luke 6, so I want to invite you to turn there. And while you're doing that, I'm going to read a little bit of what A.B. Simpson said. A.B. Simpson was the founder of the Missionary Alliance Church and tremendous missions back in the 1800s. A.W. Tozer would be one of the uh, disciples of A.B. Simpson, if you will. He would be one of the famous ministers that would come out of the Missionary Alliance movement. And many of you have read some of A.W. Tozer's work. And so this is what A.B. Simpson says, and listen to it very carefully. It is much harder to live for God than to die for God. It takes much less spiritual and moral power to leap into the conflict and fling a life away in the excitement of the battle than it does to live through 50 years of misunderstanding, pain, and temptation. The best evidence that you are in God's will will often be some sudden difficulty, some fierce assault of the foe, some bitter trial of your faith. God wants us while we live to prove in our own experience all things that have been written in the Bible and to bind the Bible in a new living edition of flesh and blood In our own lives. We are without excuse. If we fail through our own imperfection. And ability. God is not blaming us. For what we do not do. But for what we do not let him. Enable us to do. God has nothing worth having. That is easy. There are no cheap goods. In the heavenly market. Our redemption cost all that God had to give. And everything worth having is expensive. Hard places are the very school of faith and character and Christ likeness. Listen to this line. There will come a moment when we meet life's issues all alone. And as we stand true and triumphant over self and sin... God's mark is placed upon us. He puts us aside for the day when he will need a brave leader and a chosen instrument for some of the great occasions of the world's history. And that could possibly be the reason you face such trials as you do. Perhaps God is preparing you to be one of the great leaders of history. It's the training of God and the preparation of God. David certainly had no idea while he was tending sheep and fighting bears and lions that that would be his training to slay Goliath. But it was. You have no idea what you're being trained for right now in this moment of your life. But God knows what he's doing. And I can assure you that what God is doing is conforming you to the image of Jesus. And it's hard to see ourselves. It's very painful. Last week I ministered A message to you called a big enough sinner. Because if you want to be close to Jesus, you have to be a big enough sinner. And there's not a lot of big enough sinners in our churches these days. A lot of good people. A lot of people who grew up with good lives and moral lives. Which fills a church up with people that don't love God greatly. Those who are forgiven much, love much. 
And I alluded to some things in Luke chapter 6 that I said that I would probably revisit today. And the Holy Spirit has impressed me to do so. And I'm going to read a lot of, of this chapter. And I want you to read it with me. This is in Luke 6. I'm reading from the King James. And I'm going to begin in verse 20. And so please follow with me. And can I ask you to be very careful how you listen to me today. I will be misunderstood. Through a failure of hearing. So please, please listen carefully. And please read these scriptures with me. From these scriptures, I'm going to speak to you. In verse 20, he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and he said, Blessed be ye, or the poor, blessed be the poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you that hunger now, for you shall be filled. Blessed are you that weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when men shall hate you. And when they shall separate you from their company and shall reproach you and cast out your name as evil for the son of man's sake. Rejoice ye in that day and leap for joy. You don't see many people doing that, do you? It's so unnatural. See somebody leaping around joyfully. You think they won the lottery. What happened? Well, my friends left me and everybody hates me for God's sake. Hallelujah. This is wonderful. It's not too common. I read a story once about a man who was lost at sea for quite a long time. Years went by and he was finally rescued. And when they were rescuing him, he had managed to put up this couple of nice structures on the island that he would use to survive. And they asked him about how he did all of that. And he said, he just, you, you do what you got to do to live. And they said, this is, was a nice place. He said, they said, what is the place? What's the structure on the left side of your house? And he said, that's where I would worship God. And they said, that's, that's great. I'm sure that having that opportunity to worship God kept your sanity. And he said, it did. And they said, the structure on the other side of your house, what's that? And he said, that's where I used to worship God. You're getting it. It's making its way to the balcony. <laughs> um, so anyway, we're going to continue. Verse 23. Rejoice ye in that day and leap for joy. For behold, your reward is great in heaven. For in the like manner did their fathers to the prophets. But woe to you that are rich. You have received your comfort. Woe to you that are full, you shall hunger. Woe to you that laugh now, you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all men speak well of you, for so did their fathers to the prophets. But I say to you, which hear, love your enemies, do good to them which hate you. Bless them that curse you and pray for them which despitefully use you. And to him that smites you on the one cheek, offer also the other. 
And him that takes away your cloak, forbid not to take your coat also. Give to every man that asks of you. And of him that takes away your goods, ask them not again. And as you would that men should do to you, do ye also to them likewise. For if you love them which love you, what thank have you? For sinners also love those that love them. And if you do good to them which do good to you, what thank have you? For sinners also do even the same. And if you lend to them of whom you hope to receive, what thank have you? For sinners also lend to sinners to receive as much again. But love your enemies and do good and lend, hoping for nothing again. For your reward will be great and you shall be the children of the highest. For he is kind unto the unthankful and to the evil. Be ye therefore merciful, as your Father also is merciful. Judge not, and you shall not be judged. Condemn not, and you shall not be condemned. Forgive, and you shall be forgiven. Give. It's really not about tithes right here. It's about what you've been given out. Judgment, mercy, or forgiveness. That's what this is the context. You've been given judgment out. It's coming back. You've been given mercy out. It's coming back. Give and it shall be given to you. Good measure. Pressed down and shaken together. And running over. Shall men give into your bosom. For with the same measure that you measure with all. It shall be measured to you again. And he spake a parable to them. Can the blind lead the blind? Shall they not both fall into the ditch? The disciple is not above his master, but everyone that is perfect shall be as his master. And why beholdest thou the moat? And that word moat means a dry, tiny splinter. A dry, tiny splinter. Some of the paraphrases call it a splinter. Why beholdest thou the moat that is in your brother's eye, but perceive not the beam that is in your own eye? Either how can you say to the brother, brother, let me pull out the moat that is in your eye, when you yourself behold not the beam that is in your own eye, you hypocrite, cast out first the beam out of your own eye. And then shall you see clearly to pull out the moat that is in your brother's eye. This is very important. For a good tree brings not forth corrupt fruit. Neither does a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. For every tree is known by his own fruit. For of thorns men do not gather figs, nor of a bramble bush Gather they grapes. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth that which is good. And an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth that which is evil. 
For of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. And why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? Whosoever comes to me and hears my sayings and does them, I will show you to whom he is like. He is like a man which built a house and digged deep. Other translations, other gospels say he digged the dirt out. And he laid the foundation on a rock. And when the flood arose, the stream beat vehemently upon that house and could not shake it, for it was founded upon a rock. But he that heareth, these are people that go to church, not pagans, not atheists, not the protesters on our streets, not the wicked, not the foolish, if you will. These are people that sit under Jesus' teaching, like we do. People who hear, but do not do. And so I read that, again, verse 49, But he that heareth and does not is like a man that without foundation built a house upon the earth. He also built against which the stream did beat vehemently, and immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. So I wanted to read all of this because this is the context. And I wanted you to hear it all in context because this is one of the passages of Scripture where verses are often quoted and grossly taken out of context. And because they're taken out of context, it is rare for anybody to hear an accurate presentation of what Jesus is saying here. For example, when Jesus said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things that I say? What does he mean by that? What are the things that he's saying? And if we're not understanding the context, we will determine what those things are And that will appease our conscience and our way of life. We will make ourselves righteous and other people unrighteous based upon what we think Jesus would say. But he didn't leave us that room or that latitude. He told us exactly what he said. And so he talks about, in this passage of scripture, he talks about two men. He talks about a good man and he talks about an evil man. He talks about a wise man, and he talks about a foolish man. And the first thing that I just want to define for a moment is the evil man. This is who Jesus talks about. Because oftentimes when we say the word evil and evil man, we're thinking of Hitler. We're thinking of Stalin. We're thinking of people that live that kind of life. Those are the evil people. So let Jesus... Define that for us and let him explain that to us. And so this word evil in the Greek means vicious. The evil man, by the definition, the Greek definition of the word evil, means a man who finds fault and places blame on others. A man who is unpleasant 
marred by fault and fault finding. He is a calamitous man. He causes calamity, confusion, stirs up unrest. We've all been guilty of that. We've all been an evil man. We've all acted in evil ways by being contentious or debating or brawling or fighting or stirring up unrest and taking peace away. We're we're understanding that. You could sit with somebody and everything that they stand for, everything that they live for, their pet scriptures, their pet doctrines, their pet things, quickly come to the surface Disturbing everything that's not in line with this. You know, this is it. You, you, you get with a person like that and it's very quick to tell, oh my gosh, don't touch that with them. Our wrath is going to come. You know, it's just like you, you understand that. You can't have a discussion. You can't have a reasonable discussion about something. Even to help to understand, to win. It's contentious. Jesus said this is an evil man. The good man is beneficial. He's a beneficial man. And so this is explained in this chapter that we read. Jesus says in back in verse 20, and he begins to come down this, and he says that there are people that are in this world that are not going to speak well of you. They're going to accuse you. They're going to gossip about you. They're going to slander you. They're going to use you on purpose. These are church people. We're not surprised that these things go on in the world, right? You're not surprised that you would find people like this in your workplace. This is, this is surprising because this is among religion where, where this is going to occur. There are going to be people who are going to curse you. They're going to despitefully use you. They're going to abuse you. They're going to take things from you. They're going to insult you, which is the slap on the cheek. And Jesus said, if you're insulted, if they slap you on the cheek, let them insult you again. Let them slap you again. It's a backhanded, you know, just waver of, you know, you're despicable to me or whatever it might be. There are going to be people who want to take what is yours and rob you and things of that nature. A good man is the person who prays for those who curse them and blesses those who curse them and loves those who despitefully use them. A good man is the man who is kind to the unthankful and the evil. A good man is the man who is careful with his judgment and he would rather give mercy and forgiveness before he would give judgment. But you know what I'm talking about because there are many people who love to rush into judgment. And vindicate it the whole way. And so you see the good man and you see the evil man in these passages of scripture. And you see the foolish man and you see the wise man in these passages of scripture. And so if I could, the wise man and the foolish man, they both built a house. The wise man and the foolish man, they both listened to Jesus. They both Listen, heard him, heard his teachings. The difference between the wise man and the foolish man was that the wise man simply removed the dirt before he built the house. He removed the dirt so that he could set his house soundly upon a rock 
Because he understood there's going to be trials that come against my home, against my structure, my life. This thing that I'm building is going to suffer some kind of an attack. And so he builds that house. And the other man that heard Jesus also built his house under the influence of things that he was hearing from Jesus. And you do not know. Listen to me. You do not know who's wise and who's foolish until the storm is over. It is the storm that tests the house. The foundation of the house. And so many people in the house of God are fooled by the house that people have built. It looks so good. It looks so godly. It looks so right. It looks so strong. It looks so secure. Everything looks right about it. And you cannot test that house by what you're going through. Because they could be absolutely wonderful for you in your trial. But when I see Evan and Wendy going through a trial and Tiffany going through a trial in their life right now where the storms of life have slammed against their house and their faith is standing, then I would say, I want to know what you know. I want to understand because I've watched the storm beat against your house and it stands joyful, worshiping God, praising the Lord, testifying to the body that we want to minister to you and we need your ministry today. That's in, that's absolutely incredible. Would you not agree to that? Incredible. So you don't know till the storm comes and, and let me tell you something about the storm. It's coming. The storm is coming. Jesus never said maybe it could, it might. Count count yourself fortunate if it does. He never said those things. A storm is coming. It's coming intentionally. Not only to test you, but to show to others what you built and how you built it. And what is the storm? What is the storm that's coming? And he tells us that. This is back in chapter 6. Again, verse 20, verse 21 and 22. Talks about the hunger. Talks about the thirsty. He talks about being persecuted for the kingdom of God's sake. Talks about in verse 22, people hating you. That's the storm. Now, some of you might be despised, hated, because you're absolutely obnoxious. And you're just a difficult person. We're, we're, we're talking about for God's sake, all right? This is like in comparison with prophets of old, okay? This is not just some demeanor that's just narcissistic and everything else. So, let's take this in its context and with sanity. They persecute you like they did the prophets of old. They hate you. They despise you. They remove you from their company. I don't want you to be my friend anymore. I'm not going to include you in my life anymore. I don't want you there. We we can't be close anymore. There's distance now. Something happened. And there's distance now. Nothing will ever be the way that it was. It will never be the same again. That's the storm that beats against our life. 
And those are things that the evil man says. It'll never be the same again. It'll never be right again. He also goes on and he says about the storm that there's going to be hunger. There's going to be mourning. There are going to be things that beat against your life that cause you to weep and mourn. Mourning is a deep moaning of pain that seems to be relentless just day and night. It's just rubbing you. I'm sure you're familiar with it. I've lived dozens of years in that mourning state. This scripture actually was so critical in saving my life and going through this. It goes on and it talks about more of this storm that's going to come against your life. Verse 27, it's going to be people who hate you. Verse 28, the storm is people that curse you. Verse 28, the storm is people that despitefully use you. Verse 29, it's people that insult you. And think that you're beneath them. These things are going to come against your life. Evil people are going to come against your life. And sometimes we're all the evil person. Sometimes we are. And the most evil person in this room right now is the person that thinks they could never be. You are dangerous. There's only one man who was never evil, and that was Jesus. And our only potential of being good is Christ in us. And so this is the storm that's going to come against your life. You're going to be ignored. You're going to be left out. You're going to be made to feel foolish. You're going to be insulted. You're going to be slandered. You're going to be gossiped about. They're going to... Write about you on Facebook without using your name, but everybody in your circle knows exactly who they're talking about and what they're talking about. We're going to, out of our pain, out of our hurt, out of our wound, because that house is under attack, it's going to come out with all of these pains and bitterness and and anger and unkindness is going to come out of us, which is the test of our own house. And so Jesus said the wise man, before he built his house, he dug the dirt out. The Bible says that we are made from the dirt of the earth. And the wise man who's building his house on a rock is the man who's dealing with his own flesh. Everybody hears Jesus and everybody goes and builds their religious life. And you're going to build away and you're going to sacrifice and you're going to spend energy building your life. But if you didn't dig your flesh out, your dirt out, and build upon Jesus... Then when that storm hits your life, Jesus isn't going to come out. Your house is going to fall. You're going to leave that church and go to another church. 
Because they offended you, they hurt you, they upset you, they ignored you, they excluded you, they spoke evil of you. There was offenses that were there. there. I just didn't feel love there. I just didn't feel connected. I just didn't feel a way to be a part. All of the, it's, it's always the other person's fault when your house falls. It's your house that's falling. And you have all of these reasons that justify the collapse of your house. It's not my fault. It's their fault. It's that fault. It's this fault. And the house begins to crumble. And multitudes of, multitudes of people, multitudes of people that have family members. And I want you to go to church with me. And I want you to come to Jesus. And I want you to, I want you to be saved. And I want you to go to heaven when you die. And I want you to just be born again. And we're telling this to family and friends that are not in church. And they're not walking with God. Because they're disgusted with the abuse that goes on in church. And so when our houses collapse... And we're bitter and we're angry and we're unkind and we're judgmental and we got our feelings hurt and we've got offenses because this is the softest generation I could ever imagine that has ever lived on the earth. We can't take anything. I had a, Carla and I remained this past week, went into this little store talking to the lady at the register. I called the shopping for pottery and I, can I use your bench, your chair? She said yes and we talked. She said, yeah, I had a, I had a young person here. I'm, I'm one of the managers training and I wasn't here this particular day. And so the, 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 the girl, the teenager was sitting on the floor and, and she was just sitting on the floor doing her phone and, and takes her phone. Somebody walks in and she just looks up at him, goes right back to her phone, doesn't say anything. She said, I've never seen a generation like this before. Doesn't say anything to him, goes right back to her phone. And the man was really big. He walked in the store and he looked down at her and he said, who are you? And she's down on her mouth. She looks up at him, who are you? And she goes back to her phone. He says, I own this store. Who are you? And she said, I forget her name. I'm so-and-so. And she goes right back to her phone. He says, are you going to tend the store? And she says, there's nobody here. There's nothing to do. She went home after working two hours. Her mama calls the, the manager. My daughter needs, needs two weeks off to recuperate from the trauma that you put her through. You talk about a weak generation, right? It's in the church. People's houses falling down everywhere. Jesus doesn't come out of us when we're squeezed or when we're hurt or when we're broken or when we're wounded. All types of things come out. We blame this. We blame God. We blame them. We blame that. All of these things happen. And then we wonder, what's wrong with my family? Why, why aren't people following me to Jesus? Why, why, aren't, why, why don't my friends and my families want to go with me to church? And there's, there's a view today, and, and I don't know that it's wrong. That, that there's just not a lot of love in church. And I'm, I'm, I'm calling it the institution of church. There is a lot of love in church in the body of Christ. 
but in the institution. So Jesus says this. I just please stay with me. And I hope you're listening to me because I know I'm going to be misunderstood. Jesus said this to the people. Why? Why do you call me Lord, Lord? And you do not do what I say. In other words, he knows. Why do you call me Lord? And you're not going to be kind. And you're not going to be tender hearted. And when people curse you, you're not going to respond like my father. And when people abuse you, you're not going to be helpful. And when people curse you, you're not going to bless them and you're going to judge and you're not going to be very merciful and you're not going to be very forgiving. Why do you call me Lord when you're not going to do those things? He knew it. I know this is painful. I do. I mean, it's painful for me. So what he finished his message up with is dig the dig the dirt out get to the rock understand that the real problem in society is not the beams in other people's eyes but it's the splinter in our own or or, or, or the splinter in other people's eyes but the beam in our own but we're fixated and, and, and all we can see is the fault and the error of them. And I want to spend my life fixing them when I'm broken myself. But it is my flesh that does not know it because I feel justified in the building of my house. Because I'm hearing Jesus and I feel I have a right to these things. And like the woman... In Solomon's court, whose baby had died while she was sleeping. And she took the other woman's baby that was next to her that was still alive. And walked into Solomon's court. And they both say to Solomon, this is my baby. And the other lady says, no, this is my baby. And so the liar said to Solomon, cut it in half and give us both a portion. Solomon said, I know who the mama is now. And it's certainly not her. This is the mother. And that's what people would do to the body of Christ. Cut it up and give me a portion. I'll take the Baptist portion, the Pentecostal portion. I'll take the Methodist portion. I'll take the Jesus portion. I'll take the Paul portion. I'll take the Apollos portion. I'll take the Peter portion. Just divide it up and give me my portion because this is the portion that I believe in. When, when Jesus is trying to say, listen, it's not about being like Paul or Peter. It's about being like our Father which is in heaven who is merciful and kind and good to the evil and to the unthankful and to the unholy. His benevolence is great. There are going to be times in your life when you're going to have to judge. Just I'm telling you, when you do have to judge, do it the way you would want it done to you because that's how it's coming back. Before you talk about anybody, talk to them. Wouldn't you want it that way? Why did you have to go to six other people before you came to me? 
Why couldn't you just come to me and we could talk about it? Maybe I was misunderstood. Maybe I didn't even realize what I did and I would be so happy to repent. Do you know that that is hardly ever allowed in the church because we don't get the chance? We just absolutely formed the opinion of why they looked in my direction, looked away, and walked out. We see them months later. And we've got all of this bitterness in us. And we're in the store and we're grocery shopping. And we see them in the store and we're like, oh my gosh, I'm going down the other aisle. I don't want to meet this. I don't want to faint. And all of a sudden, God just causes our carts to wreck. How you doing? Man, I haven't seen you in so long. I haven't talked to you. Well, you remember three months ago in church, I looked right at you and you turned away from me and walked out. What? Are you kidding me? I didn't even know that. But we will build our whole house around that episode. The storm will come and it'll just absolutely destroy it. Blow it over. So Jesus tells us that the problem with society is we're not like our heavenly father. You cannot do what Jesus said. You cannot. The only thing that you can do and believe God for is for the power of God's spirit to possess your life and give you a baptism in his love, give you a new heart, give you a new mind, give you a way of thinking, give you something that convicts you when you're not behaving like Christ. And you know, and the Holy Spirit there says, that's not the way Jesus would handle this. That's not what Jesus would have done. Come on, Lee. Can't you get over that? Do you have to make this such an issue? Let it go, son. You've done worse to other people. Forget about it. So they didn't include you. They didn't invite you over. They didn't ask you to lunch. Why don't you ask some people to lunch, Lee, and quit complaining about who leaves you out? Thank you, Father. Because really, only God can speak to you like that. You let another person speak to you like that, it's going to be some fighting going on. <laughs> oh, to God, there would be love in the body of Christ. To God, that there would be the maturity of this. And may I remind you about love? Love does not guarantee that anybody repents. Love does not guarantee that anybody's life has changed. Love does not guarantee that anybody treats you differently. And you remember what I read by A.V. Simpson who said that it is much easier to die for God than it is to live a lifetime for him. Because how many of you pray to God that the rapture would happen or God would just take your life in your sleep because life is too hard down here. I'm not suicidal. I'm just saying I would love to go home. Because it's hard down here. I have to have the Holy Spirit. And it is my flesh that gets in the way. God help me. God help me if all I can do is see what's wrong with you. And what's wrong with them. And what's wrong with others. And if everybody were like me. How wonderful life would be. No it would. You don't like yourself. 
You don't. You make yourself mad. You make yourself angry. You just can't leave yourself. (laughs) But if you could, you would. So don't give me that if everybody were like you. No, if, if we would just be like Jesus and, and deal with our own rotten flesh and trust that there's the Holy Spirit who can sanctify the members of the body of Christ. And I'm going to move among the church as somebody who forgives, somebody who's kind, somebody who's going to be merciful, somebody's going to be forgiving. Because if payday comes, I want to pay you with mercy. I want to pay you with grace. I want to pay you with forgiveness. Because when payday comes, I hope that's how men will give back to me. Pressed down, shaken together and running over with mercy and forgiveness. But when I do have to judge, which I do, it's a slow process. And you will not make pastor go any faster. Because I'm going to weep and I'm going to fast and I'm going to pray and I'm going to confront my own ugliness before I begin to approach another person's life. I want to make sure I'm helping them. I want to make sure that I'm giving them access to Jesus. And I'm not trying to win a point. And not trying to better myself. I want to close with this. I pray that you've heard me. Boy, I pray that you understand me. In the book of James. Just want to close with it. The way we worship God has a lot to do with the way we talk to others and about others when they're not there. And the Bible says in the book of James, verse 3, chapter 3, verse 3. Gosh, don't you know any? (laughs) James 3, 3. Behold, we put bits in the horses' mouths. They may obey us and we turn about their whole body. Behold also the ships, which though they be so great are driven of fierce winds. Yet are they turned about with a very small helm whithersoever the governor listeth wherever he wants to go. Even so the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. Behold how great a matter a little fire kindles. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members, that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire of hell. For every kind of beast and of birds and of serpents and of things in the sea is tamed and has been tamed of mankind, but the tongue can no man tame It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. With it, we bless God, even the Father. And with it, we curse men which are made after the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceeds blessing and cursing. My brothers, this should not be. 
Does a fountain send forth at the same place sweet water and bitter? Can the fig tree, my brothers, bear olive berries, either of vine figs? So can no fountain both yield salt, water, and fresh. I would really think that James was under the influence of Luke chapter 6. When his brother Jesus was delivering that. And so the tongue. With it we bless God and with it we curse men. Doesn't say specific men. It's just men, women who are the image bearers of God. Regardless of what they look like. Regardless of what they've done to themselves. Or regardless of what demons have done to them. That human is created in the image of God. And God hears us. When we speak about people and how we speak about people. And then he hears us when we come into a service or a group of people to worship God and to bless God. He hears. He hears. And it's like, what is this? What is this I hear? What is this sweet water, this bitter water that I'm hearing coming out of your fountain? And we would fall on our faces before God and we would say, oh God, purge the fountain. Purge the fountain, God. So that I would be able to speak blessings. That I would be able to speak blessings upon the people that you have created. That I would be able to speak blessings upon the demon possessed. That are being destroyed by the powers and the forces of hell. Oh God that I would be able to speak blessings upon the addicted. That I would be able to speak blessings upon those that are cursing me. Because if I respond with curses it's only going to get into a bigger fight. But God if I could begin to bless them then it gives the Holy Ghost an avenue of reconciliation. Oh God change the dirty fountain of my heart. And let it be pure and let it be holy and let it be good. Because what fire a spark can cause. And what damage my tongue can cause. It is an unruly evil. No man can tame it. Thank God, God can. I believe that's one of the reasons that tongues is the gift of the Holy Spirit. Because I believe it is symbolic of... A tongue that is being brought under the control of the Holy Spirit. And so I just ask you because I'm just ministering to you as a pastor to our church. I want us to be a wise people. I want to be wise. I want to be good. I want to be beneficial. I want to be helpful. I want to be helpful in your life. I want us to be helpful together. I want to be careful in the way I treat you, in the way that I handle you. I want to be careful with the things that are going on in your life. And I would desire with all of my heart that all of you would share the same compassion for one another. I would want to remove the dirt out of my own life. I can feel it. I don't jump around and leap for joy when people are cursing me. And I'm quite an obnoxious person. So I don't blame them for a lot of the reasons they do it. But sometimes it it is for God. And I don't jump up and down and rejoice that they're doing this. I can feel all of the self-pity in me. I can feel all of the pain. I can feel all of the desire to to clear the air, to wait. Let me tell you what really happened so I look good and they look bad. I want to get the dirt out 
I want to get the dirt out. And like a lamb to the slaughter, he opened not his mouth. God, I'm not like you. I'm not like you. And I say, Lord, Lord, because I desperately need your spirit to possess me so that your spirit can perform through my life the kind of love and the kind of mercy and the kind of kindness you want the world to continue to see that you showed us in your son Jesus Christ it'd be a lot less divorce if we had this type of spirit of Christ in our homes there'd be a lot less separation and division among friends There'd be a lot less gossip and slander and division in churches if we had this kind of love. And listen, don't sit there and say, man, I hope they're hearing this. Just grab a hold of your beam and start pulling. And yes, could you imagine pulling a beam out of your eye? That hurts, right? This message hurts. Would you let God heal you? I'm not trying to speak this to wound you or hurt you, but it is cutting. Would you let God heal you? Would you come to this altar and just humble yourself before God and say, I don't want the dirt in my life. I don't want this flesh. I I, want to be like Christ. I want to build my life on a rock so when the storm comes that my house is still standing, that I'm still loving, I'm still praying, I'm still blessing, I'm still being kind. And God, it surprises me. I just pray that my house will stand. My life will stand. It'll be a testimony of you. Heal me, God. This hurts. This message hurt. But I thank you for conviction to be more like Jesus. And Lord, let us be a church. Let us be careful how we speak because, Lord, our church could be moving in such a great direction. Your presence, the manifestation of your presence, the gifts of the Holy Spirit working. And then all of a sudden we can say something and turn the whole course of this church into a different direction. Lord, don't let us do that. Don't let us do that to you. Don't let us do that to one another. Let us speak words of grace, words of grace over our